Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I just want to give a quick preamble to today's conversation which is with Finn Weddle from the Regenerative Livelihood podcast among other things. We had some technical difficulties with the recording so there's a couple of bits I had to edit out and for some reason this has never happened before but the problem seemed to be with my audio, the audio my end. I've no idea how this happened because during the recording that didn't seem to be a problem but anyway there we go. I don't think it will affect your enjoyment of the show too much but it's there nonetheless. Anyway, without further ado, I'll hand you over to my conversation with Finn. Hello, and welcome to the Self Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self sufficiency, sustainability, and food security matters. Welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast and today I've got another special guest with me and that is Finn Weddle from among other things the Regenerative Livelihood podcast so welcome. Thanks Carl thanks for inviting me along I'm excited to see what we uh, what we get up to chatting about today. As am I, as am I. We, we spoke briefly on the phone about a week ago, didn't we? And I remember having to sort of almost cut you off mid-sentence because there was just far too much amazing content that I wanted to share with people that we were getting through. And uh, so we've, we've kind of decided to start from scratch again today. And I think the best starting point is for me to just give you free reign, but uh, just let us know a little bit about what you're doing and how you kind of ended up where you are. I know you wear more than one hat, so, you know, feel free to go wherever the, the mood takes you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to get through most doors with the number of hats I have to wear. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so where have I been? How did I get here? So I, I guess um, to zoom in on uh, permaculture and I guess the, the wide self-sufficient sort of area of my life, um, I... I left university about say, six, seven years ago um, as a very sudden decision uh, because I was really unfulfilled by what I was doing there. I loved the subject, um, but there was something about the way of academia, despite my entire upbringing being very intellectual, rational. Um, I've been granted a very privileged upbringing uh, and I was always expected to get high grades and academia seemed like a, a very obvious outlet for um, the braininess that had been kind of cultivated with me, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. But university was somewhat lifeless for me. The, the, the social life was was bubbling and the academia was kind of fell flat. So I had to leave um, amongst other stresses. Uh, so I, at the same time, I was coming across, um, I spent a lot of time working in uh, activist groups doing kind of environmental activism I suppose and reading a lot of stuff and I just felt this huge sort of desperation of like I'm here in this sort of stuffy academic world and I want to be influencing the change and actually I'm part of all these activist groups that are doing stuff so I'm going to go off and I'm going to be an environmental activist that's where I can be of more use in the world. yeah um, and a couple of people kind of tripped me up uh, on my way out the door with a few kind of permaculture <laughs> magazines and uh, <laughs> yeah a few bashes around the head with a uh, you know, the Earthcare Manual or whatever. Um, and uh, I, I got hooked pretty quickly and I went 
spent a lot of time for the following year learning about permaculture pretty intensely and i knew straight away really that this was where my energy was best put rather than any other form of environmentalism and i really i've been been part of that for the last um six or seven years but the way i perceive what permaculture is and its potential has changed massively in that time uh, okay yeah well maybe if let's let's dive into that because that sentence on its own is really intriguing to me perhaps you could unpack that a little bit yeah well it's i mean it, it this is um as much as this is the story of me this is also the story of how i founded my podcast channel the regenerative livelihood um because it is very much kind of an introspective uh podcast about how it is that we unlock the potential of permaculture and other um similar practices and essentially it came from a place where i was uh, which i suppose was a, a slightly dark place but it was just a questioning place of like what on earth am i doing how how am i going to make this work in my life because um i was i was just about to have a child uh, this was 4 years ago and i've been part of you know permaculture this and community project that for ages and in edinburgh i set up something called the permaculture community classroom and that was uh, a community space so the classroom was a space within which learning was facilitated and uh, yeah. everyone brought their own interests and expertise and it still goes it still runs just across the water i can i can roughly see edinburgh for where where i sit right now um and uh and I, I I couldn't put as much energy into that anymore because I was suddenly kind of coming to this realization that might be really obvious to, to other people, but like I had to, I really had to like pay my way in the world. You know, I'd been a student and then I'd I'd lived really frugally, really minimally, as is often um, uh, touted as as the way that permaculture works. Like it, yeah, that's yeah. just how how it goes. And um, I realized that actually I was 23 or so and 22. And I was about to have a kid and I didn't have a degree. And I thought that just basically through being young, energetic and white and male, essentially, that I was going to walk into the world of work easily. But it turns out it wasn't going to happen. And I couldn't find any work. And I was like, OK, well, I want to go into permaculture. So I'm going to look for all the permaculture employment opportunities out there. Um, and then, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but it turns out you weren't her. spoiled for choice. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of sat there on, on the computer, browsing the, the entire country and speaking to the few people I knew. Um, there just wasn't a lot of options. And I just thought, wow, I, I hadn't really acknowledged how much of my privilege I've been riding on to even be involved in in this environmental permaculture movement up till now. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the step change was preparing to have a child. And it it's taken really up until almost this very moment for me to really start to understand how important the role of enterprise is um, within any movement really uh, but within permaculture and so that's kind of where I've, what i've been exploring lately is, is how do we make a living from what we're doing and how do we make sure it's not a side hustle how do we make sure it's not an intense hobby but that this is actually you know we we, we fully believe in what permaculture promises and what it can deliver um and if that is true then we must also think that it can give us everything in life including our livelihood but for, yeah. for many people and i think for the majority of the movement in the uk still it's kind of the former it's either an intense hobby um or it can become a bit of a side hustle but um permaculture businesses providing training and employment internships uh you know you 
even kind of building capital, financial capital as well as ecological, um, in order to invest into bigger environmental permaculture projects, it just isn't a, a thing that's really happening in, in the UK. So I've really focused on who in the UK has kind of sussed this already and what have they done? How have they got to a place where they're, they've created a livelihood that is truly fulfilling for themselves and they feel like they're completely uncompromised in achieving the mission that they set out with? Um, and so I've had a few of those conversations already and there's, there's many more to have. And people have had this realization way before me. Um, and it's exciting. It's really exciting to talk to these people. And I totally have not cracked on that for my own life. Um, and that's partly what I cover in the podcast as well, the developments in my own livelihood. Um, and I, I still very much struggle in, in trying to find the right work that suits me um, and, and all my, my passions. But, you know, I really believe my generation is, is just bulging with people with a similar energy as myself who just want to throw their hands into some dirty work and get stuff done and, and start to reshape society for a more just economy uh, and for a more environmental, um, ecologically kind of sound and ecologically connected future. But the opportunities to make that into your, your core livelihood are really few and thin on the ground. So I'm really interested to see where, where and what we can change in our economy to make that more possible. So I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate every single one of you who downloads and listens to the show. There's lots of ways that you can help the show grow and support it. And probably one of the best ones is just to share it with someone. Find someone who you think might be interested in this content and say, listen, here's a show that I like. I think you might like it too and point them in our direction. We would be forever grateful. If you want to go a step further, you could also become a patron. You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub and set up to donate a small monthly amount. If you think this podcast is worth the price of a cup of coffee a month, then you can set it at that amount. And obviously, anyone who chooses to do that, we are eternally grateful to. The thrust of your podcast is really, it's called the Regenerative Livelihood Podcast. So the clue's in the name, but it, it is about finding livelihoods within this niche, isn't it? It is. It is. I also see regenerative um, as a, a term that applies beyond just regenerative agriculture. Um, sure. In a similar way that permaculture design is a design field. Um, regenerative is a term that is uh, it has a really wide scope of application i've recently bumped into carol sanford who is an american business leader and philosopher i suppose um who has been working with the concept of regenerative for about 40 years and she's written a number of books and actually it's been a bit of an eye-opener for me to um to see someone who spent so much time thinking about the concept of what it means to be regenerative because it's a it's become a buzzword i think 2018 it was like the marketing word of the year uh it's literally you know it's become a buzzword but um to unpack it there's a lot in that word and uh what it means just about the way we work you know it goes quite deep into the way we think the way we work the way we show up in the world um as well as you know the practice that we apply to the soil and the water and to our food growing processes a truth that, that sits behind yeah, behind any regenerative practice is that you're creating new life essentially um that's 
it's it's a creative process so yeah the the idea for the regenerative livelihood is exactly that it's that um how can we how can we make the most of the trailblazers who are creating hopefully employment and training opportunities so that it's way easier for the next generation to come through and just be permaculture designers just be ecosystem doctors <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah 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 well it's certainly something that i'm bumping up against myself as well because i'm in a place where it's a huge part of my life but i'm still forced to make my living that pays my rent from a completely different avenue and I'm certainly on the path of trying to make it so that I'm making my living in this space, but it's not easy. It's absolutely not easy. And I wonder, have you got any tips from what you've learned from the people you've spoke to and from your own experience that you can give to people in our boat? I guess the power of why is what I've really learned in the last year or so is to really delve in and find, um, Carol Sanford talks about essence uh, as, as kind of like a, an undeniable, deeply true part of yourself something that speaks to you more than anything else so for example i've had a um a vermiculturist a worm composter on my podcast and i ask her a series yeah. of wise quest uh, why questions and you know it, it, you start with for example in permaculture you start with the food system the food system's buggered we're angry at the food system let's change the food system i'm going to devote my life to changing the food system okay great you've narrowed down the world to about a third of what the world is about um <laughs> what in the food system yeah, yeah. really bugs you and uh, why is it that the food system is where you really want to apply uh, your energy and um kind of diving down into the why's and like wh why why me what what makes me uniquely uh uniquely interested in this thing why is that thing uniquely uh, uh, special to my mind as a, as a problem he's solving so you know this person who was really annoyed about the the glo global capitalist food system ended up being a worm farmer and educator um but that that road can take many many uh well that you know that that way of thinking can, can go down many many different paths so it, it's really a, a process of dr drilling down into like what it is that um perhaps someone like you who's on a self-sufficient path is like, well, what is it you're really trying to achieve here with, with your self-sufficiency? Um, and, and what is it you, you really, really love to do? Like, is it, is milking your, the goats just like the best feeling you've ever had? Or is it more of just like a nice mm -hmm. chore to do because you really like what you get out of it, but actually there's other parts. Um, I, I'd say that is, that's it because in the business world, unfortunately we do have to start kind of trimming down some of the, um some of the things that make life a bit more complicated like in permaculture you know we, we take this holistic view and we like to we, everything to have a benefit at once but when you're running a business you do need to slim that focus down just a bit um to make sure that you've got a, a slightly more uh, focused model so that you are actually you, you do know how you're going to make money and you know when it's going to come you know if you're going to have a livelihood you need to know it's reliable um so you need to kind of specialize in a sense but that doesn't mean necessarily giving up your like your whole ethics and the holistic philosophy it just means focusing on something that you know truly belongs to you um, i also talked something <laughs> a deal about um too many ideas syndrome 
TMIS. It's a disease that I have suffered from for a very, very long time. And <laughs> just asking myself the question, why is... Uh, yeah. Well, you is, can sign, really sign me up that as well. <laughs> well, I listened to one of your shows and uh, the the not-to-do list is definitely a powerful uh, tool for for relieving any symptoms of too many yeah, ideas yeah. syndrome. Um, it's it's just a way of saying like what what is what what is uniquely relevant about this project to me in my life. You know, I might I might spend an evening or so reading about. Um, uh, I recently read an article about kind of wetland sphagnum production in East Anglia or something like that, and it was you know kind of interesting. <laughs> but what can happen in my mind is uh, it is like I kind of go down the spiral of like all right. I, I could, you I know, know, I could exactly go to Uganda and find out who's doing this. I could look up all the science. I could do, this. like, I get really excited about it in my head, and then I blow the picture up into this massive vision of what it could be, and then, like, well, I don't even know. I'm, I'm not. I, I don't think I could even tell you what sphagnum moss is. Like, if I was walking on it, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell it from other moss. So, <laughs> um, like, yeah. is it really, is it really that important to me right now, or is it just interesting that I know about that and I can kind of work alongside other people? And so just kind of like slimming down your ideas and you know i've slimmed it down um i say i've slimmed it down uh, i recently wrote out a list and it still feels enormous but i i'm getting there and it's um it's hard because we're talking about whole ecosystems in the work that you and i do and trying to slim your interest down to just yeah. one or even two areas is just really really hard um in, in every area there's so yeah. many details you could go into you know, I, I, I guess the people I'm interested in are the, the people who have just, like, thrown themselves headlong into mushroom growing. I'm like, well, well how did you end up there? There's so much else in permaculture. Um, why, why are you just so interested in mushroom growing? And, and like, let's let's take that back a bit. And, like, why, 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 why you? Um, and why the mushrooms? And I think, um, and sometimes you might get a, a bit of disruption in, in that process of wondering, actually, I've been growing mushrooms for five years and I, you know, it's nowhere near as fun as composting, but it does make me money. And so, well, maybe if mushrooms really wasn't actually the right choice, but it, I needed it to make money, but um, maybe it wasn't the best fit for that person individually. Um, and, you know, along this path in permaculture, we have to make the same kind of choices as, as everyone else in this society where compromises come along and, and it's frustrating that you might have to make them. Um, but, you know, well, I'm just exploring the decision-making processes that people go through in their journey to to try and avoid as much compromise as possible and try and like find the most fulfilling, inspiring life that they've imagined for themselves. Talking about all the different things that are still on your list that are sort of within your remit at the moment, maybe you could expand a little bit on all the different hats you're wearing. Obviously, we've mentioned the Regenerative Livelihood podcast. Um well, I guess one of the longer roles I've taken on is uh, working for Permaculture Scotland, although I'm not in paid work with them right now. So Permaculture Scotland is a regional group of the Permaculture Association Britain, which is um, a Britain-wide network. And uh, I've, I've kind of had maximum one day a week, week of paid work with them for a number of years until until last year um and i still i've in that all that time i've also been volunteering for the working group um alongside that role so i, I still very active in permaculture scotland and at the moment we're, we're actually going through this very process of i'm using 
some uh, frameworks that I've learned through Carol Sanford and another mentor of mine, uh, Dan Palmer. And we, we, we're, going, we're applying some of these regenerative frameworks to permaculture Scotland to try and investigate what it is we actually, what it is we exist for. Like, why, why are we all meeting together so frequently? Yeah. And why, why do we all want to talk to each other yeah. about permaculture in Scotland? What's this really about for us? So we're in the middle of that process and that's, that's, um, it's going, it's going really well. Um, so hopefully in 2021, 2022, we'll be exploring, we'll be hearing more about what Permaculture Scotland are up to with some new gain focus. Uh, I'm also a director for the charity Reforesting Scotland, um, where I occasionally release another podcast, the Reforesting Scotland podcast and, and, uh, just generally, uh, guide the charity and decisions uh, i'm kind of bringing my permaculture lens to that which is interesting yeah. because it's very much a kind of a yeah. conservation rewilding focused charity and there are definite kind of permaculturists in and amongst there especially amongst the, the founding crew but um it's a, it is an underrepresented voice in the in the movement and it's really interesting bringing some of ideas of permaculture into forestry and and seeing the resistance they come to actually, um, and kind of playing around with that. So I, na naturally, um, agroforestry is uh, the bridge really where we where we have some many heated discussions, and uh, that's something that I'm really working with at the moment. I'm I'm on the cusp of trying to maybe possibly I don't want to say it out loud, but I should launch a business. Um, <laughs> it's called Design and Conquer, uh, which will be how myself applying everything I've learned in agroforestry, um, everything I've learned in uh, organics waste management, so that's composting and firm culture, everything I've learned through the podcast and through regenerative frameworks of decision making and uh, community activism, and bring that all together into a consultancy service for um, community enterprises and uh, farmers who would like to. Uh, integrate agroecological principles and have more kind of resilient business models. So that's something that I'm currently working on, which I'm kind of hoping will be the the masterpiece that means I can just cut away everything else that's not on this list yeah. of things that I'm focused on. Um, yeah, and and um, that's that's kind of like that's sitting on the on the back burner, I suppose. Um, we're not on the back burner. It's kind of coming through right now, uh, slowly. Off the back of a project I'm co-designing here in Scotland, a, uh, a, a, there's a business that runs anaerobic digestion plants and they have a pollution problem. So I've been called in by an, an ecological water treatment company that resides quite close to where I live. And uh, we're co-designing uh, a pilot composting project to try and compost their biological waste okay. before it becomes a, a pollution risk um, so we look at composting and uh, worm composting together it's potentially huge because anaerobic digestion is becoming surprisingly common across the country and across europe it's become it's really promoted in uh, uk as a sort of semi to three quarters renewable um process So it's really easy for you guys to get in touch. Whatever it is you want to say, whether it's an idea for a future episode or perhaps you've got some feedback on something you've heard me say, I really do love hearing from you. 
there's lots of ways that you can do it. Now, you can follow the links in the show notes. You can use your phone just by pressing the button in the link and record a voice message that can be played on the show. Alternatively, you can send us an email where we are selfsufficientcontact at gmail.com or you can find us via Facebook. But however you choose to do it, I really do love hearing from you guys. Perhaps you'd like to record a voice memo using the regular recording app on your phone and send that via an email. That's another way that I can play it on the show. But please do get in touch. People of my age, I'm in my mid-40s and over, I think it's very much seen as an outsider's game. You know, permaculture is very much, very much niche and a little bit weird to, you know, most people. And I feel like that might not be I the case for would, the younger generation. I guess I'd agree with you. I think generally the sense is that... Um, there's there's kind of a a few different movements that coalesce with where permaculture sort of sits near them i don't think everyone will be interested in permaculture but zero waste as a concept is becoming really popular i think as a kind of mainstream popular movement that's, that's yeah bigger yeah. i have kind of uh it's not it's not a movement i feel particularly part of um but it's i know it's uh you know it's a strong one um and I think like the wider environmental movement is strong. I just I don't know if permaculture in particular has a, a very prominent place in it. I think it's got a place from like moving and shaking through the permaculture world. It feels like there's more of a middle age sort of focus on it because it came through in um, the, like the mid 80s, I guess. And in Britain, it really started off in the 90s um, kind of with full force. Yeah, so, I guess people in their 40s and 50s it feels like in the networks um, are more focused on it but uh, there are young people in the movement um i i think then perhaps maybe not so much in the in the networking coordinating thing they're more on the ground trying to set up we farms um i don't know about as a as a broader movement if it'll uh if, if it'll continue to catch on but i see its value and i'm sticking around for a bit longer myself <laughs> I suppose when I when I said permaculture, I wasn't right. necessarily referring to permaculture in its strictest sense as as a movement. I, I meant more the the ethos behind it and the idea of you know things like how important building the soil is, rather than using fertilizers and and sort of the whole awareness of mass farming and monoculture systems and what they do and you know that versus a different way of looking at things and a connection with where our food comes from and that right. whole eclectic mix of things is more what i was referring yeah, to right. um you know trying to understand the behaviors and functions yes. of ecosystems and trying to also understand behavior and function of design as, as two sort of distinct things and where they overlap and where it can be useful for humans to kind of get a grasp on them and, and work with them as um as partners and i think that as a philosophy is is going to take a while to mainstream but um the environmental movement for sure is is going to burge and i just don't know um yeah you know with the with the government that we have right now and with the way i see the world developing i don't know if um building soil carbon is going to be as popular as industrial um, alternatives, like, you know, the, the third or fourth or seventh or industrial revolution that 
um, people enjoy speaking of um, it is really popular among some, some circles and the soil seems to not really count so much in that it seems to be a kind of a nice add-on which is the there's sure. how environmentalism has been shoehorned really even like ever since sure. the silent spring which was the birth of the modern environmental movement uh, it's kind of like well wouldn't it wouldn't it be nice to have more bugs it's a shame they're gone um wouldn't it be nice to have more carbon in the soil well it's fine we've got pumps um it kind of <laughs> you know there is a divide then and um I, I don't know which way it'll go but i do know agricultural colleges for example you know, with my work in agroforestry um you're seeing talk of agroforestry a lot more which is um, very focused on building soil carbon agroforestry goes hand in hand with um, improved pasture management so you're seeing a lot of people talking about um, resting the soil a lot more moving away from extensive grazing um, people talking about integrated land use you know using renewable energies alongside um, farming practices managing water i don't know i feel i feel like there's a huge amount of education needed on managing water ecologically in the uk because we're an Atlantic island and everyone just thinks that we're surrounded by water and water keeps falling on us. So water is never going to be a problem. Water is a massive problem and we really need to, need to get to grasp with that. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I, I think some of these things are filtering into the mainstream, um, but still at the same time, meet many people coming out of conservation and farming schools who um, who haven't been taught these things and forestry schools who are still perpetuating the uh, kind of paradigm that's been uh, going on for many decades and there's still a lot of work to to try and shift well, general look, land management towards a more ecological practice i am excited alongside many people about what what england decides to do with its new grant scheme for example um you know michael gove came out to the real farming conference in oxford um, three or four years ago for the first time saying that post-Brexit the grants will trans kind of transition into public money for public goods and it's yet to really transpire what that means but all the signs are that it's basically what we want in the ecological movement um, moving away from subsidies that essentially perpetuate damaging the, the ecologies that our farms are nested within and um, yeah. moving towards practices that only better the economy, only better the local communities, and only better the the physical environment of the farm. So it's it it seems to be going that way. There's very little kind of tough stuff on the ground to to test that against yet. But years will tell. And I hope Scotland follows suit. It's not really clear what they're doing um, yet post Brexit. But I really hope that we have a a, a similar vein. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of all the things you can yeah. um, say about a government, they do seem to be coming out with uh, ecological farming as a as a potential outcome. It's definitely not uh, a set road. There's still a lot of work to do in that area. Um, you know, the recent agricultural bill that that came through Parliament, it, the word agroecology um, was was campaigned upon to be included in three clauses, I believe, and it got removed every time for. Um, for oh yeah. No, no one really knows why, I guess, it's just politics, really. You can find Self-Sufficient Hub content elsewhere online. We have our YouTube channel, we've also got our website, and we also have our Facebook group and page. Links to all of these can be found in the show notes, so why don't you come and check us out?
I am generally speaking guilty of being an optimist. So, uh, you know, I, I am optimistic, but uh, that is my bent in every in every regard. So mark that up to, uh, you know, whatever you wish. We mentioned in the conversation as we were talking, you, you, you mentioned several times your interest and involvement in forestry. And you mentioned the difference between forestry, agroforestry and the sort of permaculture thinking of how you could that how permaculture could be included within forestry perhaps you could talk to me a little bit about the differences i mean what what is agroforestry it's not something that i'm uh, particularly knowledgeable interest, about uh, sense is the integration of farming and trees so it's an ancient practice that has been practiced everywhere um but it's more than just a farm woodland which there was a, a strong movement towards a couple of decades ago um that didn't really have enormous ecological uh positives about it um it's more about integration so you're looking at um silver pasture which is silver coming from the latin for trees and pasture integrating um trees into your pasture silver arable trees and arable uh -huh. um and it's often you know the, the thing with the agroforestry world is uh, it, it seems to have kind of emerged as quite a in the box thinking type sector even though it's a small sector of like there's agroforestry this and agroforestry that um, and that's sure. not true for the whole whole of it. Um, but uh, what I bring with my permaculture lens is, I guess, more of an out, out of the box agroforestry picture of, you know, trees could be anywhere in the landscape growing in amongst the crops uh, rather than in rows and alleys, which is the uh, kind of dominant way of thinking of agroforestry, which absolutely has its place. But it very much exists within the kind of pastoral landscape of Britain, which is patchwork, you know, enormous fields with big fat hedges. Um, so, you know, putting in a few lines of, of uh, trees in there just makes it like slightly smaller patchworks with, with hedges around them. Um, whereas, you know, in the majority world, agroforestry yeah. is just um, a pretty much pointless word because it's just the same as farming. Uh, you know, you, you have trees in, an, in an, and amongst and around all your food crops. Uh, so tropical agroforestry is a huge subject and it's kind of where Bill Mollison got a lot of his inspiration from permaculture, you know, forest, gar forest gardening, food forestry. Okay. It's very much the practice of many indigenous cultures yeah. around the world and still in the majority world, integrating, um, you know, top fruit or canopy crops like cacao, coffee um, with sub, sub canopies and then your, your smaller bush fruits and whatnot so there's um there's very much where bill mollison was coming from with looking at the aboriginal peoples um many people in north native Amer uh, first nations americans in the north america um and uh, and many places in africa as well it's you know in, in the tropical climate it's so easy basically it's kind of it's like if you want to have yeah. arable fields you're fighting against nature times 10 in the tropical climates whereas in temperate climate it's much easier because although we might complain about weeds, nothing grows anywhere near as fast <laughs> as in the tropics. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. kind of slower to cotton on here, partly because of that, because people say it's a tropical practice and it doesn't apply here. And in much the same way that people said that about permaculture, you know, it came from Australia, it doesn't apply here. Um, it, it's a it's a principled mm -hmm. practice. It's not uh, prescriptive. It's, you know, yes. just the general outlook of, well, yes, you know, the, the trees are necessary. The trees have a function um, in ecosystems and they can have a function uh, for our farms as well. 
and uh, we can integrate that with our food growing. So, um, yeah, the, the thing with forestry is that um, I guess because of forestry as a practice for the last, you know, forestry as a practice really has just existed for about 100 years um, in the modern sense. And it's it's become in the Britain very, very separate from agriculture and many other land uses even it's become its own thing um, to the point where in scotland in particular and other places in britain forestry is simply the practice of fencing off enormous forests of land and putting a square of conifers on it um and just there's zero integration and so you know um more progressive foresters i kind of <laughs> anyone in continental Europe <laughs> um, we'll, we'll look at that and say yeah. like hey you know you could actually mix it up a bit and uh, yeah. a permaculture lens could say well you could mix it up a lot yeah know? as um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could integrate that into the community you could yeah, integrate yeah, yeah. other businesses under the canopy um, and also you know you could actually you could design it not as a square and you could integrate other crops in between and um, the thing with agroforestry one of the kind of the exciting parts of it for me is something that's called the land equivalent ratio and it's been shown in in temperate climates that it's quite um relatively easy to get a land equivalent ratio of 1.4 which means that you can grow um like 1.4 hectares of no you can grow on one hectare what would usually require 1.4 hectares of land so if you okay. if you're integrating a field of say okay. wheat with rows of say cherries um then you end up with instead of you would have needed maybe a hectare of wheat and um 4000 square meters of cherry orchard to achieve the same result so yeah. that that's really interesting for me as a kind of as a whole area to uh, explore um and people can often cite numbers higher up to like land equivalent ratio of two which in in terms of kind of global pressure on food markets is yeah, yeah. very exciting if we can get any more food out of our land ecologically without having to in Huge. intensively you know plow it or um, add synthetic chemicals so yeah it's a very interesting area for me exciting times um, so i've i've covered everything in my little list of notes in front of me finn is there anything pertinent that you want to say anything that you think we might have missed and don't feel under pressure if you think we've covered everything too um i i feel like there is something but I'm, it's kind of on the tip of my tongue without me being able to quite put a finger on it i guess it would be to anyone who's listening who's coming from a really self-sufficient background um or someone who's developing all these skills for themselves um that's that just to kind of investigate the reasons why and really ask yourself why um I, it's just a really it's it's a simple and sometimes disruptive question and it it can end up in really interesting places if, especially if you've not asked it for a long time um and I, I just yeah enjoy I enjoy introspection so that's why I'm going to invite anyone to ask themselves why why am I really into this amongst all things why is it in the world that really really um, has sent me in this path? Well, that's uh, that's a great uh, bookmark to our conversation, Finn. And uh, I just want to wish you all the best for Design and Conquer and all of your other 
things that you've got your your fingers into and that you're looking to move forward with, uh, perhaps you can close out just by letting our listeners know where they might be able to find more about you and find sure, more yeah. of your stuff. Um, so on any of your podcast uh, apps or whatever, you can find the Regenerative Livelihood podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Design and Conquer. That's Conquer as in the horse chestnut seed. Um, on Facebook, you can join the group Regenerative Livelihoods to get updates on the podcast and become part of the community of activists and entrepreneurs who are looking to uh, craft their regenerative livelihood. And um, you, if you're in Scotland, get involved in reforesting Scotland because we do awesome things. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for your time, Finn. And uh, hopefully this isn't the last yeah, time we I'm speak. I'm really interested in what you're up to, Carl. And uh, yeah, it, this uh, podcast collaboration is a, a exciting new thing for me. So let's see where it goes. If you find this podcast valuable, there's several ways you can support it. The easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon. <laughs>